This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay. And today we're joined with Sam Nebel, who's the co-founder and co-CEO of Good Wipes. And Good Wipes is a brand that is reinventing disposable wipes by taking a high-quality, premium, and eco-friendly approach. Really excited to be talking to Sam today. We're going to be talking about Good Wipes, and we're also going to be talking about how to reinvent an existing product and category. That's kind of what Good Wipes has done over here. So super excited to jump into this. Sam, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Jay, my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we were able to get this on the books. I'm all over the place, sometimes with my scheduling, but I knew we had to make this happen. Look, about me, I don't know what you want to know, but we just, we love wiping. We love hygiene. That's what we're about at Good Wipes. And then personally, I mean, geez, I like to eat. I like to walk. I like to exercise. And pretty much the rest of my time is spent working. Nice. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about Good Wipes too, in like your own words, what you guys do for anyone that's listening that is unfamiliar with you. Yeah, absolutely. So look, we're definitely going to talk about the products, but really it starts with the spirit and the soul of the brand, which to a degree comes from Charlie and myself and our amazing team and our consumers, if you want to call them that, or people that, that enjoy our products. But it really has been a movement is how we see it. We call it the hygiene revolution changing the way that people think about hygiene and just wanting to empower people to experience a, a better clean. And we always say we want to empower people to do more, feel good and live clean because really we're a people organization at heart. Yes, we sell products. Yes, there's a lot of time and energy that goes into the product, but we do it for people and we do it so people could have a smile on their face and feel good about products they're using and experience a new way to feel clean. We kind of have a I don't want to say sassy or snarky sense of humor, but it is funny that we're talking about kind of taboo topics. And we like that. We like that our line of business is something that is kind of potty talk, but we also want to empower people to destigmatize taboos and own themselves and who they are in the world. So there's kind of this greater purpose tied around to it that makes us feel really good about what we do every day. And that's why it most of the time doesn't feel like work. That's awesome. And I know we're going to dive into the product mm -hmm. a little bit as well later on. But I kind of want to talk about, you know, just disposable wipes as a whole, I guess. It's existed as a product for quite some time. I mm -hmm. mean, I've seen it in like the supermarket before. So what did you and your co-founder really see missing in the current product offering that kind of led to Good Wipes? Yeah, absolutely. So look, so the name sometimes when you hear Good Wipes and at first glance, or if you just hear it and you don't know exactly what type of wipes that we're selling, a very common reaction might be something like, well, aren't there wipes on the market? There are tons of wipes in the market. There's industrial wipes, there's hospital wipes, there are wipes that are like washcloths. And there are very similar types of products. But what we saw in the marketplace, and, and really it's best to kind of break it down the different lines that we have, Knowing that all of them are eco-friendly, knowing that all of them are biodegradable and, and that they have sensitive skin-friendly ingredients and taking it another level to really make you feel good, we wanted to approach the market in ways that it hadn't been approached before when we asked ourselves. And so I'll talk about the Hero line, the Good Wipes line, which is a butt wipe. We really saw an enormous white space in the opportunity to convert 
let's say adults, and we're focused on millennials, but adults to switching to this hygiene routine from toilet paper. And really that was all anecdotally. Do you want to hear the story? I mean, I mean, yeah. is that part of it? So, I mean, that's where the white space vision originated. So look, my entire life, I've always wiped my butt with baby wipes. And 13 years ago, dating myself here, but I went to Florida State University. I was a freshman. I was pledging a fraternity and it's two weeks into freshman year. And I'm in this upstairs bathroom of this fraternity house. And I always have those huge, like Costco size bags of baby wipes. I didn't care. I'm very overt about it and, and open, wasn't shy. And I'm walking out of the bathroom one day and in walks this guy and he's pulling a similar bag of baby wipes out of his backpack. And we're walking through the same door at the same time. And it was Charlie, who's became my best friend at that time. And we worked together in a bunch of products and who's obviously my co-founder. And so we kind of bonded over this hygiene routine. And within 30 days, galvanized and converted all of these other guys that we didn't really know that well to start switching from toilet paper to using baby wipes. And so we always felt like there was something there. No market research. I mean, we were, what, 18 or 19 at that time that we met. So we had no idea what we were doing. We didn't really think much about it. But after college, and I'm fast forwarding through you know several parts of the story about what we're passionate about. But after college, we look back on that experience when we were figuring out, we were pivoting from a prior business to something new. And we were like, what do we want to do? And so we asked ourselves, what was up with the baby wipe thing? And we would ask our friends and say, hey, why did you always steal our wipes? Or just say, hey, Sam, hey, Charlie, can I use your baby wipes? Rather than go and buy them your own. And so one of the key criteria that we saw in the marketplace that was missing is they were embarrassed to go to the store, whether it's Publix or Target or Walmart. They didn't want to go to the store. They didn't want to go to the baby aisle. They didn't want to spend the time looking for a brand that didn't really resonate with them. And they didn't want to be seen checking out with baby wipes. It's kind of an embarrassing look. So that kind of led us to wanting to break down the taboo and, and increase the shareability and the socialization of saying, hey, if we can come up with a compelling brand narrative and an improved product, that more people will switch to a clearly more hygienic and better sensation and cleaner way, which is wiping your butt with wipes. So that's what we saw. And then fortunately, we've wisened up over the past few years and we have tons of actual market data that backs up our hypothesis. That's awesome. That's really cool. I, I wonder if your same fraternity house is still kind of using baby wipes. I was a, in a fraternity too, and I know a lot of traditions get passed on. They do. <laughs> and it's kind of a funny story that you hear from time to time of, of other people They're like, oh yeah, I kind of had that too. Unfortunately, and, and I don't know much about what's going on, but I think a few years after we left, I think it's safe to say the fraternity we were in is no longer on campus. So for whatever reason, but I'm sure, I'm sure the story still lives on in some way or another. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. So you mentioned this as well as you were talking through the Good Wipe story. Mm -hmm. It started a few years after you finished college. How long were you and Charlie working on Good Wipes before launching the product? Kind of like walk us through like the product ideation to the actual launch. Yeah. So 2013, I think we were just coming off the tail end of this other gig or I would even call it an entrepreneurial venture that we were working on. And when we were thinking about what else to do, we kept thinking about this wipe sensation and making it for adults. I would say we did two months of research before even an ideation of, do we want to do this before quit leaving our jobs? Then another three to five months of continued R&D. 
I mean, eight months or so, and then kind of getting ready and scraping the money together to put the first order in. I mean, our packaging was terrible. I mean, the truth is, Jay, like when we started it then seven years ago, it was off passion and ignorance. Like it was just like no market data, no understanding, no go-to market strategy, nothing. Just like we want to make a cool brand and a better product. So I wish I had the pictures. I'll get them for you another time. But (laughs) of what we originally had and and the samples just with no plan or strategy at all. But it was a solid year before we got the, the first product landed in our hands before we started trying to, to sell it. So that's really cool. That's awesome. So taking that much time to like continue to evolve the product and do that R&D and stuff like that can sometimes be capital intensive. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, and I know the audience would love to know, how did you guys end up helping to fund that project? Was it self-funded or did you guys reach out and get capital from somewhere else? Yeah, so it happened in a few ways. Number one, self-funded. So the job that we had prior, we were very fortunate that they paid us to travel around the country so we didn't have rent, essentially. And we were just working. We were just working the whole time. So we were able to save a good amount of money. Then moved back in. So this eight months of R&D and waiting for the product was actually in Orlando, Florida at my parents' house. So earlier before we started recording, Jay, when you asked what brought us to move to Atlanta... We were moving out of my parents' house, and that includes Charlie and myself both. So it was crazy. I mean, that allowed us obviously to save some money on food, room, and board. And, you know, our idea was we were going to be there for two, three months, and we ended up being there for 15 months. And obviously, it was a mutual parting of the ways. My parents took me out. So (laughs) it was like the true bootstrap story. And then towards the end, when we were waiting for the product to come to pay for it, we actually did. I don't know if it was Rocket Hub. I don't even remember the name of it, but we did a crowdfunding campaign. We were able to raise 10,000 bucks from that, which helped us to kind of get things going and start moving from there. That's awesome. That's a really cool story. I always love hearing how people got started in their thing. So it's really difficult to grow a brand and it's even more difficult to grow and create a brand around a product that's already existed in the market. Mm -hmm. You know, if you just want to like rapid fire list off like three things that you think were six like that happened that you think helped you guys break out of that category yeah absolutely so number one it really goes back to kind of what i was alluding to before which is 95 percent of the market i'm just speaking of the toilet paper market our main line of business um 95 of the market is toilet paper which means only five percent is goes towards the you know, flushable wet wipes right now so it's still a very early stage emerging category, though, you know, we were talking about a $10 billion category. So hundreds of millions of dollars, of course, there are people that are using wet wipes, right? So we wanted to say, hey, let's capture more and more of people using toilet paper and start getting them to use wipes, as I was talking about before. And so the way we approach that we use that we wanted to achieve that was I would call it a a humorous in a way approach, but not like crass humor. So we call it clever witty. So approach, how we engage with consumers, how we engage with our brand facing out to the marketplace, how we want to be received and viewed and how we want people to feel. So that's number one is really the brand, the messaging, the communication. Number two, the aesthetic. And by the way, we've never perfected this. We're still perfecting it and working on it now. But it's something we've been very mindful of is how we come across the consumer. So the second part of that is the aesthetic. We noticed that when people use baby wipes, many people that use baby wipes or other flushable wipes, they would hide it in their bathrooms because it doesn't look good. It's an eyesore. And there's really no convenient place to put it. So we wanted to design it inspired by Method or Hello Toothpaste or Hello Oral Care 
they design their products so that you leave it out above the sink instead of putting it underneath. And so we wanted to have that same effect. It's more shareable for consumers. People are willing to own it. And so that's something that we really wanted to achieve. And then, of course, the actual product differentiation. No one, Jay, is using you know, the natural botanical scents that we are. They're called hydrosols. No one has the ingredient profile that we do. And our substrate, and you can look at over 4,500 close to five-star reviews on Amazon, no one is delivering the feel and the sensation in an eco-friendly way like we are with GoodWise. That's awesome. That's really cool. And thanks for diving into that. Of course. It's super interesting to to learn about that over there. And so I know we're talking a little bit about product reinvention as well. And yeah. I feel like we've seen a ton of other products reinvented as well, like mm-hmm. things like Quip. I have one of those in my bathroom. Amazing, yeah. What else is there? Dollar Shave Club. There's a bunch. I can just like name them off. So why do you think this is happening? Like, why do you think people are reinventing categories, brands are coming out to do this kind of stuff? I think it's because consumers are, and I even hate using that term because it's almost dehumanizing, but I think people are in a spirit where they're willing and open to looking for enhancements in the everyday products that they use. So that maybe that's a long-winded way of talking about consumerism, but I think they're open-minded to it more now than they ever were before. I think that's driven by millennials who have crystallized values, who care about people, who care about planet, who care about better products, more effective products, better functionality, what the products can do for them, rather than just like a legacy brand. So for example, you mentioned Dollar Shave Club. I think you have Gillette. It's boring. It's like it's there. It's locked up in the front. It's kind of annoying. You can't buy anything for less than 20 bucks. So what they did was extremely disruptive and they approached it in a really fun, compelling way. And again, what's interesting is they're not the only razor innovator. There's Harry's and there's, or shave category innovator. There's Harry's. And then there's another one, I forgot the name of it, on Shark Tank. And it's really, really into product engineering innovation. And there's just a lot of room in these different categories. Quip, for example, tons of oral care companies coming out that are just kind of redesigning. And even if it's one degree or two or three degrees of innovation or a different approach that allows a brand to open up a whole new world to connect with people in just a different, unique and authentic way. And in the last part of that, I think with the authentic piece is, you know, for example, ugly sparkling water, it's just cooler. It's more relatable. And I think people really like want to be spoken to and like, huh, this brand is doing it a little bit different. The product's great. And it kind of represents me. So why wouldn't I at least have this as one of the brands that I'm going to be drinking every day, right? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I really like what you said over there about, you know, just kind of reinventing one degree. And I almost feel like the products that are coming out now are not only just like a reinvention, but it's also becoming easier for the consumer to use. Like, when I think about a lot of these like direct to consumer kind of reinventing brands, you're able to get like subscriptions. And like you said, even for like good wipes, you know, you don't have to go to the store to get it, you can order it online if you don't want to do that. Yeah. And doing that kind of stuff. And even like quip, you can set your toothbrush refills, kind of set it and forget it, don't have to worry about it anymore. And I think that's some really cool stuff over there. And I want to kind of pivot a little bit and talk about you guys have been successful online. And also offline, you know, you're in Target, CVS, HEB, might be in a few other stores as well. 
how did you and Charlie pitch these stores on carrying your product when, you know, disposable wipes were probably in the store as well? And, and what would you suggest to other people that are maybe reinventing products that are looking to do the same and get into to brick and mortars? Absolutely. That's a great question. And, you know, it's very challenging because really any category that you go into is going to be competitive, whether that's online or in brick and mortar. There already will exist, most likely, a degree of what you're trying to achieve. So I think the most compelling stories really are these. And I was thinking about this the other day and not in a self-righteous way. The founder stories really are compelling because it's like, you saw something that you just couldn't stop yourself from changing or improving. You know, if you talk about Schmidt's deodorant or native deodorant, whatever it is, like two products, two natural deodorants, different product, you know, slightly product differentiation. And of course, there's already deodorant that exists. Both those companies worked very hard to change the perception of natural deodorant. And it's reflected in the numbers. I think it's a mix of that amazing founder story where they just got to get it done. And then... I think our business has grown as we got wiser to the data and the market research and the analytics. And I think that allowed our conversations to be more productive with the retailers where they said, okay, these guys really know what's going on with consumers, the users of these products and the categories. And they're also madly driven and obsessed with this because of their founder story. So I think that mix is really what allows emerging brand to break out in the marketplace and approach a retailer from a partnership perspective. And yeah, and that's really how we did it. We learned a lot. I think we were extended a lot of grace by these retailers by kind of starting with just coming in with a more of a, a the founder story and then evolving into the data. And now you can kind of tell we're getting a little bit more respect. They're communicating with us in a way that's more like, oh, they, these guys have market data that really backs up what they're saying. So it, it all kind of feeds on each other, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's super interesting. Actually, mm -hmm. I never really thought of it that way. And I think the data piece is really cool because, you know, I'm sure maybe Target, CVS, HEB, they might be thinking about like the toilet paper industry, but maybe not as critically as you and Charlie and your team are. So sure. it's really cool for you guys to bring that data and basically approach and say like, hey, this is what the market looks like. And this is how we can plan to grow it. And it's kind of like a win-win for the retailer in that sense, because if you're helping to push that product forward, then their sales are going to go up as well if it's easy to access. Absolutely. I think that's awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the e-commerce industry as a whole and kind of how that relates to what you guys did at GoodWipe. So I just want to throw a couple of things your way and then we'll jump into some questions. but. U.S. e-commerce sales have tripled since you guys started Good Wipes. And the number of stores, I think we can all agree, is at an all-time high mm -hmm. now with how many e-commerce stores are out there. So the market is extremely competitive. With a more crowded market compared to when you guys started, do you think that product reinvention to the level of Good Wipes is still possible today? And what do you think brands that are trying to do that need to do to be able to grow to that level as well? Hmm. That's a good question. The truth is, and, and not to diminish your question, I feel like that could be a, a full philosophical conversation that could span months, if not weeks and days. But I think, yes, there is room for reinvention. I think the reason you're seeing it is because a lot of brands can do that. And I think the truth is that the great brands backed by great operating teams are going to be the ones that you see surviving. And it doesn't matter if it's a company that's doing 20 million in revenue on Shopify or if they're doing 100000 a year. All that matters is if the entrepreneur are 
gaining traction in the marketplace because they're adding value in a unique and special way with the people that are buying and interacting and engaging with their brand and their product. So it doesn't matter if it's a brand that's trying to do what we're trying to do, which is be in almost every brick and mortar or be on demand if you want a box of good wipes at, at your fingertips to your house or delivered through Amazon, omni-channel convenience. Or if it's like someone who just wants to be like, I want to make an extra $15,000 of profit for myself and my family. And because of that, I'm going to start an e-commerce store for $75,000. And then they could run it forever if they wanted to, or they could sell it, or they maybe aren't very good at it or lose passion, or there's a million things that can happen. But I think you're going to continue to see that increase if there's passion and there's success, then people will stick with it. If not, it'll weed itself out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, I think one thing, kind of my next question that I have over here, and you kind of started hinting at it, which is with that crowded market in place, with e-commerce growth at an all-time high, and the ability for competitors really to pop up whenever... What are you guys doing over there to stay ahead of the market? Because like you said, you know, if you have someone that comes in and is super passionate about a product and really able to move and push that forward, they can break in. So I'm curious. I would love to learn what you guys are doing at Good Wipes to keep ahead of the market. Well, look, there's two ways I look at it. Number one, if you get a few more competitors in the mix on a smaller scale, you know, maybe they're just on Shopify or maybe they're just on Amazon. I think that actually isn't a bad thing for the category and what we're trying to achieve because it signals to the consumer, hey, wait a second, people must really be wiping their butts with flushable wipes now, like adults. And that's the main signal that we want turning in their heads. Obviously, we want to be the ones to be the lead communicator of that to a new audience. But that message in the marketplace does rising tide. What is that? Lifts all boats, whatever that saying is. I think there's a benefit there. You're never going to monopolize the market. And by the way, it's better for consumers to have the options and to have a competitive marketplace so that companies are coming with the best innovation, delivering the best value. And so from our perspective, other things that we're doing to kind of make the Good Wipes brand, yeah, whether it's building a moat around it or just making our company unique unto itself, is we have other product lines. So we have a feminine hygiene line. We have a body wipe line. Um, and we're continuously adding new products to those lines. And then just some unique innovation within those categories that we play in. So for example, with the flushable wipes, I can't share a lot about what we're doing, what we're working on, but we do have some initiatives in the short term, medium term, and long term to continue to develop eco-friendly substrates. We're looking at upcycling opportunities, particular ingredients. I'm really excited about it. I wish I could have a list that I could share and show you the wall right next to me, but I am afraid I cannot. <laughs> But those are the types of things to get deeper and deeper and deeper to lead those initiatives and to communicate with the consumer. And they're risky. They're absolutely risky. But we're happy to take those risks to move the industry forward in the way that we think is ethically appropriate. Yeah, I love that approach. I mean, Thank that's you. kind of what we're doing. We're trying to do the same thing, you know, at Trend, which is a, a B2B company. We're trying to kind of reinvent how content is created with the influencers. And it's kind of like you mentioned, like, just leading that product category forward. And you're the one that's coming out and being the thought leader and delivering a product that kind of makes them think this is how you should be using this and what other use cases there are for the product. And I think that's really cool as well. So as we're getting a little bit closer to the end of this podcast, I kind of want to ask one last question about this reinvention topic, which is, if you had some like rapid fire advice to give to founders that are maybe looking to reinvent an existing product in maybe another category, 
what advice would you give them? Can anyone kind of do it? Or is there something you need to be successful? I know you mentioned having that strong entrepreneurial focus and motivation Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, that's a great question. I have an interesting kind of like line of thinking with this because I love motivating people and I'd love to tell everyone to take the leap because I, I just like to see people succeed. I love empowering people. But at the same time, I also never like to tell people what to do with their lives. Jay, if you were like, one day I want to start a company, but I really don't want to. My response would be, I would love for you to. I'll help you in any way I can. But I also am not going to push you in a direction that isn't good for your life. Only you will know that answer. I can just show you potential avenues and roadmaps. That's just how I think and approach it. Although I would love to have a million friends that all have their own companies, right? At the end of the day, I want to respect what everyone wants to do with their lives. I would say, I think... The entrepreneurial spirit and that founding story spirit where you're just motivated by a mission and a purpose and you have a vision that you want to succeed in the world, backed by the market research and really digging in and learning about the market from a macro level all the way down to a first person user level, whether that's example for me, going into people's bathrooms, surveying like with my eyes and just gathering information like, hmm, why don't they do this? Why do they do this? Look how nice their bathroom is. How can we play into that? That's really where the best innovation ideas will come from as you grow, for us anyway. So I think if you can have that mix all together, it will bode for a more successful business. And like, But at the same time, I can't say that I have regrets for going the way that I did because you just did anything differently. It just, it just would have been different. So I'm happy that we're learning what we're learning now. Yeah, for sure. And that's some really good advice that I think anyone listening, even if they're an existing founder, can definitely reflect on. So I want to kind of switch back to you a little bit as a founder. Mm -hmm. I feel like every single founder, every single entrepreneur has these people that are kind of inspirational or motivational to them, even especially in the direct-to-consumer space, probably brands that you look up to. What are some of those people and what are some of those brands? It's funny. We came up with a list few weeks ago of like brands that we follow. And I think mine probably had close to 100 or 150. It's ridiculous. Like once you're (laughs) in this world, I feel like you just become such a fan, especially the emerging brands and the different categories. It's so fascinating to see and to watch. I feel like it helps me. I guess if I were to pick a few, I would say, we already talked about, I love what Hugh and Ugly are doing. I mean, even just the blue can is like, that color blue, the branding is so magnificent and so unique to any category. It just, it stands on its own. I think it's remarkable. Hydrant. Hydrant's a great example of, of something we've been talking about with reinvention. You know, with hydration, yes, there's Gatorade. Yes, there's Liquid IV. Yes, there's Pedialyte. But Hydrant found a way to just tell their story in a different way and, and differentiate the product and just empower people. And that's an example of a market that's just exploding, the hydration market. And the way that they approach it and who they approach it with, it's really fun to watch. Those are two examples. The other one, and again, this is another beverage brand. Actually, I'm going to shout out one just because it's kicking out of my head. I don't know these people. I know Ugly and I know Hydrant. but And so I, I get to be fans of them as entrepreneurs and also know them more so on, on the Hydrant side, though Hugh has been very helpful to our business. There's this company I saw, it's like Mushroom Chips. And they were barbecue seasoned. I found them at Publix in Florida. I don't know anything about the company. I couldn't tell you the company's name, but it was like the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. So <laughs> I love just trying these new snacks. So that was really cool. And just to be like, huh, like I didn't even love the packaging. I was just like, this looks interesting. I want a snack. I was like, this is better than any chip I've had. I, I can't believe it's a mushroom. So that was cool. And then, oh man, entrepreneurs. I do look up to others in the industry. 
you know, Life Aid is a brand I love. And also you, you can follow these and find these people on LinkedIn and just like the way they communicate and what they're saying and the messages they're putting out there. It's just, it's really nice. So Aaron Hine and those guys at, at Life Aid are really inspirational and I have conversations with them often and they're brilliant. They're so brilliant. They're such a, a big company. So that's really cool. I draw my inspiration from definitely entrepreneurs in the field, but also a lot of people outside of the field. So like, I don't know, I'm just like a Howard Stern guy. Like I grew up on him. I love like showmen like that. So, you know, all the the late night show hosts, that's always kind of what I wanted to do with my life is like be a host of something one day. But what I'm doing right now is the best job I could have in the world. And I could do this forever, honestly. So that's awesome. That's really cool. I'll have to do some research on the mushroom chips and see if they do e-commerce and bring them onto the show. Next time I go to Publix, <laughs> I'll take a picture of it and send it to you. Yes, please do. Yeah, for sure. One of the last things, I guess, as we're coming to the end of this podcast over here, if there's like a few challenges that you face as an entrepreneur and you figured out unique ways of overcoming them, I'd love for you to share those a little bit as well with the audience. Yeah, I mean, it can happen any and every day. I think the one thing I try to do if you're starting a company and you've never done this before, or maybe you do have mentors or maybe you don't, you're going to face challenges and probably more of them simply because you've never experienced that event before. So for example, maybe it's hiring. You've never hired anyone before, but you have to because your company is growing. Some people, not all, some are just like they run through brick walls, but some people can get overwhelmed. And so in the past, when I ran into situations where I'd never done anything before, and I have five of those that I'm juggling at one time, I would get very overwhelmed and maybe shy away from them or slow them down. But now I'm really working on, and I feel like I've done a good job of talking to myself and being like, look, you can figure this out. You can seek guidance. You could read a few articles on the internet. It's better to feel out the process intuitively. And if you make a mistake, we don't love mistakes, but you learn from it quickly and that'll make you that much smarter. So it's really just kind of handle the frequency of challenges with that similar mindset, whether it's procedural or not, I think is one of the most valuable things that I've kind of coached myself to do over the past two years. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. Of course. And so last thing I want to leave off on, what's next for you guys? What's next for Good Wives? I know you kind of mentioned that you had some secrets you couldn't share, but if there is anything you can share, feel free to. For sure. So what I can tell you is in 2021, you will start seeing us in a lot more retail outlets Legally, not even allowed to say who right now, but you will see us in multiple aisles of multiple retailers. That's just really exciting for us and exciting for us to be able to share with the audience and people out there. So we're really excited and humbled, honestly, to be able to do that. That's sweet. That's really awesome. So Sam, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Really enjoyed having you over here. The king of all wives, I think, was on your email signature that you sent over to me which is pretty sweet. Yeah. But awesome, man. Thanks so much for jumping on the podcast over here. Really appreciated having you. Super insightful to the audience, especially just talking about product reinvention and and all that good stuff and founder stories and entrepreneur stories in general. Thanks for everyone that was listening to the podcast. We always appreciate you joining us. If you like this episode, feel free to drop us a quick rating, subscribe to the podcast, and we will see you next time on the DTC pod. 